It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood. A neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? I am your host, Christopher Sinclair, with my co-host, Drew Garrison. How are you doing today, Drew? Ding, ding. (laughs) That was the hardest I've ever had to work to not just bust up laughing during the entire thing. (laughs) And, and And I have to tell you, the reason why is because me and my wife do this weird thing where we'll just read music quotes to each other and lyrics really? yeah like you and oh, just great. like like just the way that you just did that we do the same thing like we, we usually do it like on like road trips and stuff like that when we're kind of bored and um i don't you know like that itself sounded so weird it's a song that i've heard a million times right but having somebody just read it was the most ridiculous thing ever and so we've done that multiple times and there's a couple of songs that like you can do that with that are very unsettling when you just read the lyrics and i don't want to blow it for anybody but you should definitely do that with jen because it's fucking hilarious when you uh oh, that's great yeah so I it's also a, it's a, uh am, i'm willing to say that i'm a i'm a fairly ridiculous human being myself and um and am rather off-putting in person. So uh, the fact that uh, I read that and it came off that way just makes sense, really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was perfect. Well, great. What are you drinking today, Drew? Uh, today, I am drinking some Black Tot. And there you go. I've been drinking a lot of Black Tot recently. Um, I wonder why. Um, um, and the, the reason being is because, you know, there's, there's nothing else to do. And, uh, <laughs> and I actually became, became friends with the, uh, with the national or the global brand ambassador, Mitch uh, Wilson. Oh, that's cool. And, um, it is, it's been a lot of fun. It's been like super, super fun to get to know more of the story and stuff like that. So for people who are unfamiliar, um, the Black Tot was originally created as kind of like a celebration for, or not really a celebration, but um, it was first, it was kind of like a funeral for the Daily Tot that the British Royal Navy used to get every day as part of their rations. And that was ended in the, in 1970. And in 1970, when they finished that, it was like, it was like I think July 31st, 1970. And so that became known as Black Tot Day. Well, at the time, the British Royal Navy was was producing around, I think, eight million gallons a year of rum. Whoa! Yeah. So, in from start to finish, I think it entered it entered Parliament on like July twenty eighth, and then within a couple of days, it was you know cut, and then by the thirty first, you know, completely done. So you can imagine that's not like really a whole long of time to to blow through eight million gallons and. 
from there, like, you know, the, the Navy was throwing all this rum, so it kind of ended up in all these different places. And then eventually, Sukhinder Singh, who owns a whiskey exchange, started to track it down and just bought all the last of it, the stuff that he could find from people. And so it ended up creating like this really crazy rum that, you know, like a lot of independent bottlings that we're aware of and stuff like that is it's super rare, right? Now, yeah, it's extra with, rare. Yeah. yeah, with a rare, you know, spirit comes a very high price tag. So I think wholesale, you can get a bottle of that stuff for like $1,000, maybe 1200 at this point because, you know, obviously the more bottles it sell, the less there is. So these guys – and you've to, had you've had that right. You've had that some of that original batch, right? I have, or at least some of that some of that bottlings. Because um, did you have it the first time at Jungle Bird or what? I did. Yes. Okay. Yeah. See, I still I still haven't tried it yet, and I I need to get on it. I I mean I I'm pretty well prepared for what the experience is, uh, but it's still one I would like to have. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, it's it's not necessarily like the greatest tasting thing in the world. Um. A lot of that has to do with the fact that it did sit in barrels for probably a little bit too long and then it was put into different vessels and, you know, not everything was stored the best. Um, but when it comes to drinking something like that, that will never be made again. Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so it's super cool. Yeah. And so what they decided to do is because they are getting to the point where they're getting to the last of it and they call it the last consignment. So, you know, it's 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 almost gone. So they wanted to release something in addition to it, because there's other rum reserves that they have like within their own collection that they want to start bottling, but they want to keep it underneath this black tot line lineup. You know, it's a infamous brand name. People are aware of it. So why not capitalize on that? Right. And so what they did was they created a blend that would have been similar to the one that they were serving to the British Royal Navy, you know, for hundreds of years, but obviously not the same stuff. So it's a blend of um, Guiana, Barbados, and Jamaican rum. And it's oh, cool. a really, really fun sipper. It's a really, really approachable price point too. So you can get it uh, retail for about 60, 55, 60. And uh, it's just been a whole lot of fun to kind of, you know, sip on this bottle. And it's got this really beautiful design. Um, it's black and orange, which I'm just a sucker for. I've, I'm fully committed to that now. If you kind of hit me with some sort of color scheme that's black and orange. I'm probably going to like it. Um, so they, I think they were, they, they kind of drilled into my brain. They're like, what's Drew going to like the most? And it was this, um, but it's, it's a great sipper, but even at that price point, you can still kind of, you can cocktail with it and not feel terrible, you know? Uh, and they just did, they just did a really, really good job. So that's what I've been sipping on. What are, what are you drinking? So well, I, I've got a question. I've got a question. Uh, the yeah. black, black tot company, um, are, they're no longer producing, right? They're just sourcing. Well, at no point were they ever producing. Okay, so it was always so. So they're part of they're part of Elixir just dis- like Elixir Distillers, which is um, which is actually oddly enough, they are going to be opening up a distillery on Isla. But you know, even even the Daily Tot part of the previous. Um, you know, like during the actual, uh, the tot given by the British Royal Navy that, you know, that was all sourced rum as well, you know, from different merchants and stuff like that. And over the years you can see different, um, rum companies that kind of claim that fame, like, oh yeah, we used to provide the rum for the British Royal Navy for X amount of years. Like Lemonheart's one of those companies that does that. 
So, you know, it's always been kind of that case. And then so with these guys, not only did they have, you know, not only do they have their own collection of stuff, but they also really worked closely with uh, E.H. Shear as well, which is the company that, you know, has casts of rum from all over the world. Yeah, so, it's uh, walking, walking through their warehouse is a um, it's a bucket list item for me. Yeah. Uh, agreed. I don't know. Did I tell you that I met one of their buyers when I was at Miami Run Congress in February? No. And um, it was so funny because it was really, really great lady comes up, you know, introduces herself, hands me her card. She's like, "Have you ever heard of us?" And I'm like, trying not to fangirl, you know, right then and there. <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I guess." I mean, you guys are pretty cool. I mean, and keep in mind, I mean, they're they're responsible legitimately for like some of the best rums in the world. Yeah. And and more often than not, they actually don't allow people to let to or like they don't let people tell where they got the rum from, right? Or companies won't disclose it. So, but most of it's coming from them. Like their warehouses are just ridiculous. So, yeah, and it's it's this amazing, you know, journal entry of spirits. Essentially, I mean, that's that's the way I view I view that company. I mean, obviously, they make a lot of money, and they they've been retailing barrels of booze for a long time yeah two other companies right like I, you and i can't go in there and just buy a barrel I not think. in our current financial situation no <laughs> it's true <laughs> but uh uh the fact that they they sit on this booze for generations is incredible i mean people can dig up some of the most amazing shit. It's that they, you know, cause they've been around for so long. They have it. Right. Yeah. And like one of the other releases that, um, that black Todd has done is like a 40 year old Demerara. Um, which is just insane, you know, so that you could have a rum for, for that long. Um, yeah. And they're, and they're also the type of people where, they don't do any chill filtration on it. There's no color added either. So, um, you know, like you're, you're getting legit spirit with no helpers or anything like that. Sure. So that's, um, and it's just a really cool, cool project to be a part of. I'm like, I'm really happy that I've been able to develop kind of like this online relationship with, uh, Mitch. I've actually been able to jump on, you know, to a couple phone calls with him and just bullshit. And then he's also come to a couple different tastings, which has been, really really cool and he's got another one on thursday that what they're gonna do is they have this five sample tasting four or five and obviously you have like the black top finish project but then you also have all the different rum blends that go into it so you'll be able to taste them individually and then taste the final product of them all blended together yeah and so and so it was really cool. So at one point when he was promoting, he's like, yeah, you know, you can, you can order it anywhere uh, from around the world. We'll get it to you. And so I, of course I wanted to see if I could do it. And uh, I looked it up and I was like, oh, okay, this will be here in like 20 days and it's on Thursday. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, well, next time. Yeah. Next time for sure. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's just, man, it's such a, it's such a cool room and I'm really, really happy that we have it and, Thank you to drink it. And it's definitely one of those those bottles like in my collection that not only do I have a sample bottle that I'm gonna be selling, you know, and tasting people on and stuff like that, but then I will have my own personal bottle at home. Right. Always. Right. You know, sure. and so I have uh, a couple of those when it comes to my portfolio and 
this is definitely one of them. And it was what the, the craziest part was I had to like keep this a secret for, oh my God, like over a year. Oh, that JVS was acquiring. Yes. Wow. It was brutal. Yeah. You didn't, you definitely didn't break it to me. Yeah. So. And like, I tell you everything. Fuck you guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. You tell me everything. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think, I think for, for you though, I didn't want to like tell you and then not have it immediately available to drink. You know what I mean? That's fair. That's fair. So, I would have been very impatient. Um, yeah. and I think that that's the reason that you know that is because you are the same way. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, don't, don't tell me about it. Just put it in my mouth. So <laughs> that's yeah. how, that's how I do it. Um, but speaking of that, what's, what's in your mouth? What are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking a, uh, local wine, uh, from Kirkoff winery. Uh, they're red table blend. Uh, Jen opened it up, uh, last night to um braise some uh some steak with and i couldn't let the bottle go bad so no you know no it's freaking delicious um i've become really excited about drinking um uh you know quote unquote local wines from sacramento um that are actually good lately <laughs> um since since we uh, you know, since opening the store and since before opening the store and, you know, going through uh, wine tastings and really, really trying to figure out what I wanted to do in terms of wine and where I wanted to go and, and what was, you know, not just to have bullshit stuff on the shelf. Right. Um, but I had discovered Kirkoff probably a couple, I want to say like two years ago, we, we used to be part of their, uh, part of their wine club. And, um, actually one of the, when we went down to cancel our membership, um, the, you know, the, the tasting room attendant was like, Oh, like, why are you guys canceling? Is something wrong? I was like, no, no, no. I'm just, I'm buying cases of this now. (laughs) Bringing home one or two bottles doesn't do me any good. (laughs) Right. I'm bringing in like six cases at a time now. So I don't, I don't need this membership anymore. And they're like, Oh, Oh, that's fine. That's good. (laughs) um but it's it's this great uh it's this really fantastic wine uh coming out of clarksburg and uh i one of the things that i've learned recently is clarksburg has i mean clarksburg has always had its own ava and has always produced a ton of wine um you know bogle is one of the one of the largest wine producers in the country i i don't want to say the wrong number but my gut is wanting to say like they're like the seventh largest wine wine producer in the country. I think like under Gallo and anyway, so, so they're huge and they've got massive presence and they come out of Clarksburg and I, you know, Bogle isn't always the dopest wine, right? Like, I mean, it's grocery store, you know, save Mart wine most of the time. I mean, they do have some cool stuff like the phantom and, um, uh, I carry their, uh, 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 it's not the Armageddon. Ah, oh, crap. I forget which one it is. Anyway, um, mostly because it came in magnums and I love the artwork and I thought it'd be funny to carry magnums of Bogle. And uh, I like a lot of the people who work for Bogle, so I still wanted to support them. Um, so that's why I did that. Uh, but drinking, have being approached by a lot of local winemakers 
um, specifically coming down from the Delta that are coming up from Delta. They, a lot of them know each other, obviously. Um, it's a small community, uh, but a lot of them grew up around each other as well. So, so I, I carry also another company called Silt. And apparently the, uh, the guys who own Silt Wine Company grew up with the, the, the brothers who made uh, Kirkoff, uh, who make Kirkoff wine. Like they, you know, played football together or, you know, whatever, whatever sport they played and, um, uh, uh, got their Eagle Scout together and what have you. So it's always fun having them come into the, coming into the shop and sort of like they have this sibling rivalry sort of, uh, uh, with each other and they're always checking on each other's stuff to see how it's doing and, and asking me about it. Um, you know, it's nothing but love, but it's, it's fun to watch their like little rivalry with each other. Do you, do you anyway, feel like this, there was like a run on like local wineries where like you, like somebody got into it and then you're like, Oh, now I got all these people from Clarksburg coming in, like asking me to carry their wine now or anything. I mean, or is that just, just all the time anyways? What, so, you know, what do you mean from me, from me or? Yeah. So like you, so you bring in, you bring in this wine right to the store and you know, they have this close relationship with this other winery and that you also carry them. And then is it, does it, do you ever see a domino effect where it's just kind of like, Oh, this guy's willing to carry local wines. Everybody go to him. See what he says. I, well, first of all, wine, wine sales, um, sales people are vultures. They are, they are, they are cutthroat, man. They, uh, they, they will come in, they will spend time. They, uh, they need that placement in your store. And they will figure out how to make that happen. And they will, <laughs> they, they will not take no for an answer. So, um, uh, I think also because we're located in downtown Sacramento, like directly across the street from the Capitol building, um, you know, it takes money to, uh, own a vineyard and make wine and, and produce a brand. Uh, so I think typically a lot of the, uh, you know, more than a few of these people have spent time in government or spent time around government. Um, and thereby they have friends with people who walk right past my store every single day. Uh, and so they probably got a heads up right when we opened as well, saying that we were there and that they could, they should, you know, uh, bring their stuff in for us to sell and, and what have you. Um, also we have a lot of like lobbyists, wine lobbyists, uh, who come in and shop from us because again, we're right across the street. And so they want their clients, you know, to have their booze in there. So I, I think there is a little bit of a domino effect, but I think it's also, um, you know, just proximity. Right. Yeah. I'm just curious. I mean, I've always, you know, obviously I've, I've watched plenty of, um, plenty of my friends and accounts just deal with salespeople, you know, myself included. And, um, you know, it's always kind of funny to see, to see, uh, how that works for them. Right. And if it ends up being like, oh, well, you come in and you, you leverage the fact that like, well, you already care this, there this from Clarksburg. Like, why not this? Why not that? Um, but I do have to agree with you. Um, without question, the most aggressive salespeople in the world are wine salespeople. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like they're just, <laughs> well, to be fair, there's, I mean, there's a lot of competition out there, you know, and, um, it's, I mean, it's, I, I don't know. It's, it's, um, it for, and I think for the most part, wine, I don't know. I don't know why, why that is exactly, but there's, a, there is a lot of competition. One of the, one of my favorite things that I've, I recently found out about, 
the Clarksburg AVA though, is that they, uh, while they've been producing wine for, you know, for hundreds of years, literally out of Clarksburg, um, a lot of local, there haven't been a lot of local wines or local wineries, uh, per se. And that's because, um, Clarksburg was sort of the unsung hero of Napa and Sonoma for a long time. They were selling a lot of their, uh, they were selling a lot of their grapes to Napa and Sonoma uh, vintners um, because the, because the grapes were so good. And it was sort of like this unsung hero of, of the, the Napa and Sonoma you know, boom is because they could get dope grapes for cheaper than buying it from Napa and Sonoma and blend it into their wines. Um, and I think now there's there's enough people in in the AVA of Clarksburg and the rest of the Delta that they want to showcase the wine itself now instead of just selling off all their grapes. So there's a few more uh, local wineries that are opening up and, and really putting out some pretty dope shit. Yeah, I mean, so- I found out there's that, you know, there's there's a couple uh uh, vineyards down there that predate Phylloxera, which is fucking cool. Like I had no idea, um, you know, so that means that those, those vineyards have been producing grapes since the 1800s. It's amazing. So, and, and just for, for our listeners at home, can, can you explain what that means? Yeah. Phylloxera was a, was a, um, a blight on, on, um, on vineyards. It, 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 it was, it's, how do I say this? <clears throat> it destroyed most of the vineyards around the world because of monoculture or, um, you know, monocropping, um, uh, mm-hmm. or, um, what's another way of saying that, um, of, of cloning, right? So you take the clones from one vine and you put it on another. So it's all the same. It's all the same vine essentially. Right. Right. Um, and so when you end up with, with a, um, disease that harms the vine, it kills all the vines and it spreads. And, and as people bring it with them as they travel, and then it kills those vines in that area and everywhere. So because Clarksburg was, um, sort of untouched, it was, you know, at, in, in the Delta foothills of the Sierras, it's, um, so it was a little farther away. So some of these vineyards were just isolated and they, they just didn't get touched by phylloxera, which is really, really, really fucking cool. Um, it's one of the reasons also that cognac and brandy uh, was considered so special for so long is because, you know, we were drinking cognacs and brandies here in the U S um, you know, right, right after we started drinking rum in the U S um, it wasn't really until phylloxera hit that brandy and cognac then became this rare thing that we, you know, we couldn't get our hands on. So it became, it became, um, you know, ionized. It was something that people, people really wanted to spend their money on. And if they could spend money on it, it was like, Oh, you're, you're fucking fancy. And so cognac still has, and brandy still has that, um, that mystique about it. Right. Um, but when that happened, Americans turn to making to making bourbons and making rise and and really producing that. Uh, you see that in the Sazerac, right? The I mean, the original Sazerac was made with brandy, uh, and as soon as Phylloxera hit, couldn't get brandy anymore. Well, now now Sazerac's made with rye. So, yeah, it's pretty amazing, like how 
many of those things, you know, there's kind of like these misconceptions that are around spirits in history and how much of a bigger role something like Brandy played, you know, um, like I, one of my biggest pet peeves when it comes to this industry is when people talk about rum and they make the automatic association with pirates. When uh-huh. the reality uh-huh. was, is that most pirates were drinking, um, brandy. That was what was available at the time. And like, don't get me, you know, don't get me wrong. Like they were obviously, you know, being in the Caribbean and stuff like that. There was, there was also rum consumption, but a lot of it had to do with brandy. That's what most of them were drinking. Um, and then, you know, you start talking about just like the things that are a little bit more prevalent in the U S you know, before that, before that whiskey and, and like, you know, bourbon and rye and all that fun stuff, you know, it was, it was rum. So there's, there's all these like misconceptions that people have and like these little things that just change the way that we look at the world where it's just like, Oh no, this is the American spirit. It's like, well, actually this one started first or this is what these guys right. drink. It's like, right. well, actually they drink this and then they were aging it in this, you know, like I think a lot of people are are always talking about like, well, you know, everything gets aged in bourbon barrels. It's like, at, I mean, at this point, kind of, you know, because yeah, they're, just, they're cheap, they're easy. I yeah, there's so of, many. It's part of the, it's part of the, part of the economy, right? I mean, that's, that's why bourbon barrels can only be used once. It's the way they can resell them. And that way the lumber companies sell more wood and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And then, you know, so before then, you know, people were aging in, in Spanish wine cask and, all kinds of different things that they can get, like brandy (laughs) cask, all these different things that they get their hands on. So it's, it's amazing how much of an effect that had. And, you know, to know that these vineyards that are pretty much in our backyard, um, you know, you can, you can taste like really seriously old vines, you know? Yeah. It's pretty fucking cool. It's, it's really, really cool. Yeah. So Um, I'm trying to think there's, um, I can't I can't remember the name of the winery off the top of my head, but there's uh, one that I tasted before the apocalypse, where uh, <laughs> um, uh, uh, that's where I learned that from. And I will find I will find it, and I'll, I'll you know we'll post it, and I'll, I'll put it in the footnotes of this um, of this episode or on our social media, um, so that way people can can get their hands on a wine that blends some of those grapes in there. Cause it was, it was really good and it wasn't terribly expensive. Um, we just, you know, we weren't able to bring it in before disaster struck. So, ah, such a bummer. Yeah. I mean, we will, it's on, it's on my list of things to bring in. It's really, really fucking cool. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, in this time we have to, uh, sort of, we have to deplete some of the things that just sit on our shelves first in order to pay some of those bills. No, man, I totally get it. I mean, I know the last time that I was in there, um, you know, there was more gaps than I know that you're typically comfortable with. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> like that, yeah. that OCD in you that you're just kind of like, you're like, Ooh, I could put something there, but you know, you're trying to, uh, to, uh, get that stuff down, which is, you know, which is smart right now. And those are the things that you have to do. And, you know, there's actually a, a lot of our stories today have to do with that. So, yeah, you know, the retail game is so different now, right? Because it's not like we're having, you know, customers really come into the shop like we talked about last week. Yeah. So that means I'm hand selling over the phone or people already know what they want and they're calling. It, people aren't coming in to browse. So right. I don't I don't need to have, you know, fully flushed stock shelves. Um, it's just not a necessity anymore. So now it's about getting the things that really move and. Um, well, it's about it, you know, and it's about being creative with that, right? You know, and it's yeah. it's like how do you get these people interested? I mean, um, 
you know, one of, I did a happy hour on Friday, uh, and we did it with the black dot rum. And like I said, you know, Mitch came into it and he was able to explain a lot of stuff and he was actually a little bit late, but it was okay. Cause you know, it was like two, two o'clock in the morning in the UK. So, you know, <laughs> so we'll cut him with some slack there. But, um, he came in and like gave us an hour of just amazing information. Um, but when it was all said and done, I mean, you know, the dude sold 13 bottles. That's dope. Wow. Right. You know, it's just like, and that was, that was over a computer conversation. And those are the things that like, you know, you kind of have to do right now. You have to get, totally. you have to get creative and you have to know these, these stories and these things that people, you know, give a shit about because they can buy anything. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Like, what, what Click do I of a button, man. I mean, uh, you know, and especially in, in, in our game, right? Like you and me, we, we specialize in, in uh, the lesser known brands you know whether it's wine whether it's spirits um and so it's it's our job you know you and i have both built our careers on on being able to convince people to drink dope shit yeah that they might not know but nowadays you know you go on amazon you go on the whole foods you can get shit delivered left and right um you know so uh you have to be creative in our shoes you know, and I think that's, I think that's one thing that I try to, I try to tell other people, you know, not, to, not to give us more competition, but, um, you know, that you do have these big places that are coming into, into the competition, like onto the playing field, but they're moving a lot of those mainstream items, you know, that's, that's kind of like their bread and butter is that, you know, they're going to move through the kettle ones of the world, the Captain Morgans, the Crown Royals, you know all those different things the Jack Daniels and stuff like that. I think there's still what, what's really fun um, about the spirits in general is that, you know, you can have all those, you can have those workhorses, you can have those, you know, billion dollar brands and stuff like that, but there's so much cool stuff and you do have to seek it out a little bit, but I think that's part of the fun, you know? Like yeah, you kinda, I mean, you it, it's, it. it's more gratifying when you found something that's dope and you spent a little bit of effort rather than just be like, Oh, okay. Well, I just happened to get this. Right. Right. Yeah, dude, totally. And I think that's, um, it's, you know, it's one of the reasons that I continue to, to be excited about this, about this job and about this thing that I get to do because it's just, it's like, you know, you get, we get new suppliers approaching us all the time. And then you have people walking in your door you are not right now, but like, you know, walking in your door, <laughs> like you don't know what they have or what cool shit they might be, you know, selling. And then, and even at the end of the day, like if you don't, um, if you don't buy it, like you still got introduced to it, you know, and that's a great way to educate yeah, and, yourself. And more often or not, the people who are selling those things are pretty cool and then relatively humble because they know that their stuff is hard to sell, right? It's not right. the stuff that just sells itself. So, um, it, more often than not, even if I don't buy that thing, I've really enjoyed getting to at least like that half an hour, an hour long conversation that I, that I set aside for meeting with someone. Uh, right. Yeah. I think about that's, them, learn I, about I them think... and learn about their product. For sure. I think that's like one thing that, you know, eventually at some point in my career, like I want to be on the other side, you know, and I want to, you know, I want people to actually come to me with stuff, um, <laughs> you know, and then have me tell them no. So yeah, I tell uh, you, it's a lot better. I've never done your job, but I already know. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely better. Um, okay. So, so you're drinking that wine. I'm drinking right. some, some rum. Do we have our transition music or is that a thing? Yet? I'll put it in, in a post-production. Okay. All right. It's a little inside baseball there for you guys. We're getting pretty right, fancy. Yeah. We're going to have, um, 
music transitions between segments. So you guys, how funny would it be if I just didn't put that in this time? You were just uh, talking about it. Um, That'd be pretty great. <laughs> they'd be like, it never came. The girls never came. Um, <laughs> the girls never came. Yeah. Uh, that's a that's a really great Deep Cuts reference for you guys out there. Yeah, that was good. Uh, you and I don't usually get the same movie references very often. but uh, So that's, pr- that's pretty good. There, yeah, uh, we're not going to tell you. Buddy, my entire friendship with Buddy Newbie is based on uh, movie references that nobody else gets. That's amazing. He's a weird guy. That makes sense. Ah, I love him. And that was our new music. So that's how we're going to transition into <laughs> um, into stories now. And I think we have some entertaining ones today. Um, and this is one that we've actually been sitting on for for well i guess only a week but in covid time period it seems like seven weeks um but in south africa they have banned the sale of all alcohol and cigarettes under a coronavirus lockdown that has triggered a wave of lootings of liquor shops and on sunday they actually caught police officers who were complicit in the illegal alcohol sales so Basically, what we have here is a little micro um, Al Capone thing going on in South Africa in a very short amount of time. Yeah, of course. Of course, that happened. And it's just I mean, it, there, we were talking we were talking before and, you know, South Africa is not the only country um, or, you know, what a province or anywhere uh, right to to ban the sale of alcohol it's you know it's it's happening it's uh it's around i just i'm lightweight baffled by it because i feel like there's enough evidence in history to suggest that that's probably a bad idea (laughs) yeah i mean in here they say that they've had at least 16 reported instances of burglaries and lootings of liquor stores in western cape town yeah of Um, course and it's just like, and then, and, you know, and then you have the cops involved too, where you're just kind of like, you're like, I've seen this movie, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like you know, it, 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 at no point in history has banning alcohol, like gone well for anybody, you know? No, well, and South Africa went a step further also, and, and they banned this, they banned cigarettes, they banned the, the, the sale of cigarettes, which... I you know alcohol is one thing, man, but cutting people off from nicotine, I'm surprised that they just haven't had riots. Well, I mean, and you know, this was from April 12th, so we are about a week out for this. I mean, and I don't keep up on my South African it news. Could still so that place, that place might be on fire right now. I have no idea, but but I agree. I mean, that was um, you know another story that we had read that was like somewhat linked to this is in uh, and was it Thailand where they had also banned the sale of alcohol and there were doctors that were coming out saying like, Hey guys, we have a pretty significant drinking problem in this country to the point where 10% of their population is, are considered heavy drinkers. And so there's about a hundred thousand people that are considered alcoholics that are can now not get their fix. Um, which, you know, again, could lead to violence, extreme, um, withdrawals potentially deaths and all this stuff 
and it just yeah that's pretty sad yeah and it's 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 a it's a major bummer because again as you said it's like when has this ever worked and then also uh what's the thought process behind this you know the u.s despite all of our mistakes like we're doing to-go cocktails you know like get on board well a few yeah i mean there's a few states i mean pennsylvania seems to be getting more strict right and 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 going through other issues but uh yeah a handful of states are, are sort of loosening everything up and and making it easier for people to just stay the fuck calm <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean and um you know and i think this kind of like you know trans translates or goes right into kind of our next story where it's like you know, you know these countries that are that are banning alcohol and then in this case like you're seeing this increase in crime and stuff like that whereas in the u.s you in the third week of march there was a 55 percent increase in sales in the off-premise over last year that's intense isn't that just insane i mean now i know i'm definitely contributing to that um (laughs) i wish uh, i was contributing to that like i (laughs) Hey, I'm doing my best with you, man. I'm buying when I can. I know, I know. It's fine. You know, we're doing our best too. You know, any other? Uh, I, I feel like I should explain to uh, our listeners uh, why you know we're not thriving in this time. My uh, my boutique liquor store is located um, directly across the street from the state capitol and in a part of town that's surrounded by businesses. Any other time of you know the history of the world. It would have been perfect, <laughs> the perfect address. Uh, but as of right now, where all business has come to a halt, we are in a ghost town where um, where we're located. So it, people have to mean to come to us. Uh, it's not happening on accident right now. So yeah, it's definitely it's it's definitely um, a bummer. Like it, it, you know, I, I agreed with you. I was just like, I was like, man, that place is like, that's a perfect spot. And then it just suddenly became like the worst spot um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. to be. I, I mean, like, I can't even be mad at it because like, at least we're open, you know, I mean, there, there are other people uh, who are certainly far worse off and losing their dreams, um, you know, and everything that they've worked for either, you know, last few years or their entire lives or their parents worked for their entire lives, you know? So uh, we're not in that position, so at least I can, you know, I can laugh about it a little bit for myself, um, and at least try to s- stay well humored. Right. Well, I mean, and you know, it kind of gives you the opportunity to work on some other projects right now. So you know, you're still selling bottles, so it's not like that's completely ended. It's just you know, you gotta have right. to get you know creative in different ways. And um, there's actually something that that popped up uh, as we, as we were talking that I think kind of has to do with like the small businesses and stuff like that, and not to completely, you know, timestamp our, our, uh, our podcast here, but, you know, over the past week, one of the things that really kind of pissed off a lot of people was the PPP ran out of money. Right. So a lot of this, right. these loans that were supposed to help these small, small businesses that were ended up getting sucked up by places like Ruth Chris and, um, God, what was it like the fat burger Chili's. or something like that? Yeah, Chili's uh, was another one. Yeah, um, yeah, um, and uh, Shake Shack got one of them. Oh, seriously? Yeah. So Shake, so Shake Shack received ten million dollars oh. in their loan. Oh fuck them, Jesus! Well, <laughs> um, 
and and you're you're right to feel that way. But in a pretty unprecedented move, they are returning the money. No, oh, okay, I take it back. Yeah, so <laughs> unfuck them. All right, Danny Meyer. Wow, uh, maybe he maybe he got enough uh, flack. Uh, you know, uh, damn. Well, good for you, man, to return that money. That's uh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I mean, you know. use the money to pay your employees. Like that's fine. Or figure out, you know, maybe your banks are willing to help you out in ways that you know they won't help out us out. You know, small businesses that have one employee, <laughs> right? right? Uh, versus fucking Shake Shack and the rest of the Danny Meyer empire. Um, you know, I mean, I'm in no way am I mad at him for being successful. It's just his ability to get help far surpasses mine, you know, and that's in, that's not a, it's not meant to say that he doesn't deserve and his employees don't deserve help, you know, in this time. I mean, this is definitely affecting everybody, but his ability to take care of them far out, out, you know, surpasses my ability to just take care of my family. Right. I mean, that's just, that's just the facts of the world right now. And that money supposedly was meant to keep a lot of us open and paying employees and being able to maintain a solid economy. Once this is over, I guarantee you there aren't enough Ruth, Chris's shake shacks and Chewy's in the world to be able to feed everybody. If all these restaurants close, so, you know, we got to figure something else out. Right. Well, I mean, and, and I think that's like kind of like the interesting, the interesting part of this, right, is, and, and rightfully so, there's a lot of people who are upset about this. Myself, I was upset about this, that that these huge, you know, these huge chains were, were getting this money as opposed to these small businesses that could have, you know, you could have kept so many businesses open as opposed to dumping all this money into like a handful of places, Right. Um, but those handful of places, they still have employees and they sure do. Yeah. And theoretically now there were instances of people getting the money and I I can't find it right now, but I did see one, one of the bigger places like, you know, got the money turned around, fired a thousand employees, you know? So yeah, gross. But there are, you know, these places do employ a ton of people and everybody's hurting, you know? Right. Even if you're yeah. a big company, like you are hurting now. Again, there should have been things put in place to prevent these huge companies from getting like these massive payouts. But you know, that's just well. That I might. mean, to be fair, I mean those those companies deserve those massive payouts, but it it needs to be something else, right? Like that's they they need massive payouts to. St- stay alive. Whereas right. I don't need massive payout to stay alive. Therefore that amount of money could go a lot farther for companies like mine or, you know, the rest of the companies that are on my block, you know, the, the two cafes and the spice store and, you know, the restaurant that's around the corner and the, um, you know, the, the Caribbean restaurant that's around the corner, right? Like we could, we could each, we could each take the amount of money to equal like a hundred thousand dollars or less $50,000. And that would probably be enough to keep us going through whatever this is. Right. Right. And that's seven businesses versus 10 million, 20 million to one business. 
Right. And, and you think about it from like the bank's perspective is you, you know, were just assaulted with loan applications, right? So, sure. yeah. So how do you start to, to kind of divvy these up? And I think without question, they went, well, which ones are the biggest ones? Because they're going to make, yeah, how can we make the stuff. biggest impact, you know? Well, is it biggest impact or is it just kind of like, hey, if, you know, well, if we do the biggest ones, it's less work we have to do as well. That's <laughs> because true. that money's going to run out. That's true. Now, you know, and that's fair. Uh, I mean, they they've processed. I mean, this is a clusterfuck all around. There's no there's no way it won't won't be or couldn't be. So you can't really be too mad about that. But it's, uh, I think, where people get irritated is. Uh, at least try, you know, like just try to make this better for everyone else. Don't, don't take the easy way out. Don't, you know, just try to try to help someone else, you know, while you're, I don't know if you're in put in a position of authority during this time. Right. Which, I mean, I think that's um, like I myself found, you know, found myself to be very disappointed upon hearing that news earlier in the week and was just very frustrated because, you know, I do see so many people struggling, but, you know, it does appear that there might be some light at the end of the tunnel, like whenever this tunnel does end. Um, You know, one thing that we were able to read today was that, um, you know, China is opening back up or has been, you know, over the past like two weeks. And um, for them, they, in terms of like the alcohol sales, there was actually like a 25% increase in the high-end wine and rare whiskey sales um, with them opening back up. So yeah, people are, people are celebrating, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I At least people, that's how I interpret it. Well, I mean, it's, you know, they're celebrating, you know, um, they've either been saving money because <laughs> they haven't been going out, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and hopefully that'll happen here. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens? I mean, you know, you're getting a lot of um, a lot of different rumors kind of swirling around. I mean, and again, because each each state is kind of left to its own devices, which is kind of scary. Um, but you know, everybody's making all their own decisions. Uh, we actually have a mutual friend that they're on the board that's advising the governor of California right now, and you know, their interpretation of it so far has just been like, well they pretty much just want us to do everything for them. You know, they want us to like take temperatures and, and stuff like that. And that's just something that, that that's just not conceivable in in my mind. No. Right. No. Um, you know, they want them to reduce capacities by over half. Um, you know, just a lot of things being put in place where they just, you know, it's non restaurant and industry people making decisions for this category that they have nothing to do with, you know, and that's yeah, and, and I mean it's not their fault, right? I mean, uh, you know, I asking me to, you know, give advice on the auto industry would be a terrible idea. You know, I would, I mean, if I was put into a position where I had to do it, I would try my damnedest, right? But undoubtedly, I would make some wrong choices, right? Um, so you can't really blame people it, on that, but where you can hold people res- uh, accountable is if they don't listen. To people who do know what the fuck they're talking about. Right. And I think it's encouraging to know that they like brought people in and it's like people that we respect and we want to see be um, like see this through. But, you know, we just we just don't know what it's going to be. I mean, I I thought, 
when they rolled out that, you know, the first stimulus package that people would be in a better position. And then Ruth Chris got $40 million. So, <laughs> you know, in terms of that execution, you're just kind of like, I, I was actually even talking to somebody about the other day. I was like, I feel like our, you know, our, our politicians have always been like a certain level of inept, right? I mean, and to be fair, this country is just way too big. You, you can't, you can't do anything like really get anything done between your party system and, and everything like that. It's just, and it's just too big, but they've always been inept, but the stakes have never been very high. The stakes are extremely high right now. And we have all these inept people. Yeah, these are all the stakes. All the stakes are, are, yeah. are happening right now. Yeah. And so now there's all these like real life repercussions and you had people who are not good at their jobs and because they don't, because I, the way that I see it now, especially now, is like politicians aren't necessarily good at getting things done. They're good at being reelected. That's I don't what know. They do. I, 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 you know, not to jump down the politic train too hard. I mean, it's it's kind of hard not to in this in this climate. But you know, saying politicians, I think it is, um, yeah, it's reductive. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people who are trying to do a lot of things. And that's why bureaucracy is slow. That's why bureaucracy is inefficient. And that's why it uh, it oftentimes doesn't get it right, but gets close, you know, and, and that's sort of the point of bureaucracy is because it saves it saves a lot of lives from from having that pendulum swing too far in any direction. I mean, that's sort of the whole point. Yeah, but yeah, no, I mean, you're right. It's, you know, it's, there's it's, there's there's. There are people who are desperately trying to do the right thing right now, and de- you know, and I think there's a lot of people trying to probably, at least if I'm going to give pe- some folks the benefit of the doubt, all trying to do the right thing. They just have differing opinions on what that right thing is, um, and therefore it it gets difficult, you know, if you're trying to run a fucking country, and like you said, and maybe you weren't educated properly to handle something like this, a crisis like this. And you did just happen to get elected or, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, there's so many elections on so many, you know, you know, state county federal levels that, you know, and all operating, trying to do something at this point, there's so many people just trying to do something right now. Uh, it's, I can't, I can't imagine it's an easy task. There's going to be a lot of really interesting case studies. I think that comes comes from this time, you know, uh, for, from the people who are documenting and paying attention and gathering data as we go. And the people who will probably be doing it for years afterwards, it's, it's going to be a really interesting point in the history of the world to look back on and say, yeah, we did that. (laughs) That was, that was weird. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I hope that, you know, a lot of people are saying like, oh, I hope we get back to normal. It's like, I don't hope we get back to like normal. I hope we get back to a changed world where, um, you know. Well, things- it's going to be changed anyway. I mean, it, there's nothing. There's too much has happened too abruptly and caused too much damage to ever pretend to be unseen. Right. Like that. There's going to be a lot of people and a lot of companies trying to tell us to pretend like it never happened and just to go back to living our lives. But it but it happened and you can't pretend that it didn't happen and that it's not currently happening. Right. So, yeah, the world did you, will did never you read that article that was about the gaslighting thing. 
Yes. Yeah. Fuck. That was such a great article. So, um, you know, if you guys haven't read it out there, um, or, or aren't familiar with the gaslighting term, uh, it's basically like the act of trying to make people feel crazy by like denying like things that have happened. And, um, yeah, that's, I mean, exactly what Chris is talking about is that there's going to be companies who are going to be like, no, 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 don't worry about all that shit that happened and how most of our comedy like almost collapsed after a week of not working, you know? And it was, it was, oh man, it was so good. And you know, something to keep in mind. I mean, obviously I think it's easy to say like, oh, we'll never forget this, but it's like, eh, I don't know. We've lived through some crazy shit and people still make a yeah. lot of mistakes that you think that we wouldn't, you know? That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's been a it's been a roller coaster of a, of, a, of a few years, man. It's it's been. I still look back and go, oh yeah, that that happened. That was a thing. Time. That, that was, was a thing. A thing. That, yeah, that's right. I forgot because we're doing this other thing now. Oh my gosh! Like, um, you know, so many things that that we thought were going to be such a bigger deal. Um, you know, like when we first started this podcast. I mean, most of the things that we were talking about was. The tariffs, you know, oh, online yeah. and on, which are still on, a thing, very much so, and we don't talk yeah. about them because it's just they they've they've become you know irrelevant to most people's conversations, and you know they're still happening. Like things are still you know like the prices are going up on stuff, but yeah. um, and and it's likely that they're going to continue because everybody's focus is on COVID, right? You know, and people aren't you know how can you ask people to take their attention off of trying to fix this situation? and cut down the prices. There are some lobbyists who are doing it and God bless them. And I think some of them are using the right argument, which is, you know, you got to keep people in business. you got to cut down these costs on them so they can stay in business. And I think that that would be, that's the, that's the right, the right motive. And that's the right sort of tact. Um, but I, you know, I, who knows how, how effective they are being in lobbying in that way. Yeah, I mean that was um this past week on my virtual happy hour I had Jim Ramdahl on and uh he's a brand ambassador or I mean, like he's he's part of the I don't yeah. know what his for Nova role Fogo. Is. Yeah. Yeah, for Nova Fogo, which is a Casasha out of Brazil. And um, you know, he was talking about the fact that you know, it, it takes like I think he said like three or four dollars to make it, you know. And uh but then when you go through all the crazy taxes that that country has, then the taxes that this country has. And then of course you have the three tier system, you know, it's like, yeah, you get up to like a 50 or 40, 50, $60 bottle. Yeah. Um, pretty quick. Yeah. It gets quickly. Yeah. It gets very quickly out of hand. And, um, you know, and it's even the same, the same thing with, uh, with single malt whiskeys, you know, especially in Scotland. I mean, I think they, you know, some figure like, 70% of the cost is all tied up in taxes. Like Jesus right. Christ, you right. know, yeah, it's astounding. And it's just like, Oh my God, it's a, uh, let's settle down guys. But, um, <laughs> uh, but you know, I think we are getting a little, a little long here. So we did want to end on what we thought was just a great fun kind of story here. And, um, it comes to us from, uh, from Africa. So it's our second Africa story that, that might be a, a record, but um, <laughs> the uh, Kenya governor, Mike Sinko of the Kenyan capital city of Nairobi is facing scrutiny for reportedly giving out COVID-19 care packages. Now on the surface seems really, really nice. 
In fact, I think that if you are going to require your citizens to live a certain way, wear masks and stuff like that, that having these kind of care packages available, very, very important. But he took this a step further and put in a surprise item. Now, Chris, you brought this to our attention. So would you like to reveal what that item was? Hell yeah, man. It was a bottle of Henny. This <laughs> <laughs> fool uh, put bottles of Hennessy yeah, into uh, into these care packages. And I, again, we, like we don't know how many how many care packages or specifically where they were going. I, I like I didn't dive that deep on this. And apart from sort of like the human cost and like sad side of like, well, maybe you shouldn't be like misspending funds on uh, like taxpayer money on on booze for people, but. Uh, at very least, on the surface, tip of the iceberg, this is really entertaining. Well, uh, I, now, di- I did. Go ahead. I was going to say, like, he has his reasons for doing this. Yeah, he said that uh, it uh, it was a steril- throat sterilization, which I think is the best answer. <laughs> um, yeah, and he also went on to say that alcohol plays a major role in the killing of the coronavirus. Good for him. That's, so I mean, um, it's not right, but good for him. Yeah, right. I mean, you, you know, you kind of go back to the American sales, like, hey, we're up fifty five percent. We should kill this thing in no time. So that's right. Uh, yeah, I uh, there's actually a video that you can um, you can watch where he addresses this and actually he says this. You watch the words come out of his mouth um, about Hennessy being a throat sanitizer. Uh, a lot of ways I would describe Hennessy: throat sanitizer, not one of them. um and i think it is Um, i i did reach out to someone from uh from uh moet hennessy and asked for a quote and i think i wanted to share the quote and this person will remain anonymous uh, unknown sources unknown sources but uh uh their response was if i had a job uh that would get me fired i'm hoping to have a job uh this summer so i'm not going to give you a quote (laughs) Oh, Which man. I think is probably the most apt response uh, that one could give in such a situation. And I applaud it. Right. Well, I mean, you know, un- unfortunately, there are a lot of, you know, our friends and people who are not friends who, you know, who are out of the job right now. Um, and it's, you know, it's a bummer because, you know, there's nothing for them to do. You know, if you're a, if you're a brand ambassador, like it's, it's tough to find work right now or, or effective ways to work. So, you know, you can't really blame the alcohol companies, but man, you gotta, you gotta feel for those people. Um, Definitely. You know, so, uh, but, but I do think it's, it's important to say again, that, uh, alcohol does not protect against coronavirus. And and, and in fact, it can, uh, it can increase the risk of it according to the world health organization. So, um, (laughs) it is not a throat sanitizer and, um, Hennessy right. is Do, is good on its own. You don't have to have a Coke back. That's all I'm going to say. I will say, man, their um, uh, their uh, distiller, dis, uh, their Master Select Hennessy is outrageously delicious. I am I'm not like the biggest fan of of like Henny VS um, or even VSOP. To me, it's a little vanilla. It's well made. It's it, it and so that's you know. I can taste bad booze a mile away, you know, <laughs> but yeah. uh, Hennessy is not bad booze. It's really, it's, 
incredibly well-made alcohol. Um, it just, it doesn't fit my flavor profile, you know, of what I enjoy. Um, but their, uh, master select is just stunning. I mean, it is everything that I want in a cognac and it's freaking tasty. Yeah. I, I think it, you know, it for sure gets a, it gets a bad rap. Um, just due to some of its associations and stuff like that. But you know, it's a, there's a reason that it's been around for so long and that's right. Yeah. That it's a huge, huge company, you know, like people, you know, they like it. It's good. So, Mm -hmm. um, but that's all I got for you, bud. That's all I got today too, man. Uh, I think that was a great conversation and I, I hope, uh, people at home are enjoying this and, you know, and uh, whoever our listener was from Ireland that we found out that we had uh, this oh, last yeah. week. Yeah, we're uh, international I hope, now. Uh, I hope they enjoyed that too. Yeah, we're we're international. So, um, you know, I'm I, a big I th- deal now. We are very much so <laughs> a big deal. And, and I hope people are enjoying it and maybe finding a little bit of solace in the uh, in the weekly episodes. And, you know, I think we're all out there just trying to do different things and come up with more content for you guys and um, you know, me and Chris have talked about uh, releasing some of the virtual happy hours on the podcast as well. So we're going to eventually listen to those and see either how good or how bad the, the sound quality is and <laughs> see if it makes sense for us or not. But I mean, we've, I've had some good conversations and I think they'd be good content, you know, just kind of like a one-off, not anything that we would do consistently, but um, you know, we're just trying to find cool things to do for you guys. And uh, yeah, we're also just trying to stay entertained ourselves, you know, Oh, hundred uh, percent. We, we got things we got to do. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, oh my God, there's so much truth to that. So, um, you know, do us a favor, go and, uh, give us that five-star review. It really does help. And then, uh, share it with your friends, share it with your it's enemies. It's not on Yelp because fuck Yelp. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, they fired a bunch of people too. Um, yeah. Good. Couldn't have happened to a better group of people. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Go, go out and give us those reviews. Like I said, share us, um, friends, enemies, family members, whatever, uh, we want to keep building it up and you know, we have the, the listens are there or we're, we're slowly, but surely growing it. And, uh, we appreciate you guys for helping us along the journey. All right, pimpin'. Hey, cheers, buddy. All right, homie. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Did it. The good bottle podcast was recorded at the good bottle shop in Sacramento, California. Music is by Leon Moore and Chase Moore. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Good Bottle Podcast.